and the gospel. Uh, Spurgeon said the law is do, 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 and the gospel was done, done, done. So if you just take the verses of that song, yield not to temptation for yielding is sin. Um, shun evil companions, bad language disdain. Uh, God's name holding reverence, nor take it in vain. Be thoughtful and earnest, kind-hearted and true. That's all do, right? And then you, re- you sing that and say, I know I want to do that. I know I need to do that, but I don't always do it. But then you get to the, the last part, ask the Savior to help you, comfort and strength and keep you. He is willing to aid you. He will carry you through. So you have the first part. It's what you want to do, but it's not what you can. And you can't do it. And then you have the gospel part. Well, ask the Savior. Not only will he help you do what he's commanded, but he'll see you and keep you through. So that's a, that's a good song there when you think about it in those terms. All right, let's, uh, John um, chapter number 17. We'll start reading verse number 11. I get the right place here. Okay. Um, and now I am no more in the world, Jesus prayed to the Father. But these are in the world. And I come to thee, Holy Father, keep through thy name, thy own name, those whom thou hast given me, that they may be one as we are. While I was with them in the world, I kept them, thy name, and those that thou hast given me, I have kept. And none of them is lost, but the son of perdition, that the scripture might be fulfilled. And now I come to thee, and these things I speak in the world, that they might have joy fulfilled in themselves. I have given them thy word, and the world hath hated them, because they are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. I pray not that thou shouldest take them out of the world, but thou shalt keep them from the evil. They are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. Sanctify them through thy truth. Thy word is truth. As thou hast sent me into the world, even so have I also sent them into the world. And for their sakes I sanctify myself, that they also might be sanctified through the truth. J.C. Ryle said of this passage, he said, The special intercession of the Lord Jesus is one grand secret of the believer's safety. He is ever watched and thought for and provided for with unfailing care by one whose eyes never slumber and never sleeps. Jesus is able to save them to the uttermost that come unto God by him because he ever liveth maketh intercession for them. They never perish because he never ceases to pray for them. And his prayer must prevail. They stand and preserve to the end, not because, or persevere to the end, not because of their own strength and goodness, but because Jesus intercedes for them. Judas fell, never to rise again, while Peter fell and repented and restored. The reason why? The words of Christ, I have prayed for thee that thy faith fail not. This morning, when we'll preach from the first part of the passage that we read, on the assurance that we have in our salvation because of what Christ has done for us. Assurance is a dirty word in some, uh, some religions. Um, Roman Catholicism uh, teaches that assurance is a heresy. You can't be assured. The only people that can be assured is Paul because he had revelation um, from God um, and uh, Mary, Mary can be sure because you know she's married. But those—that's who can have assurance in salvation. 
uh, for them. And why is that? Well, it's the same reason why a lot of preachers don't want their church members to have assurance because they're afraid if they have assurance in Christ, then they won't come to church and they won't um, tithe and they won't uh, do good and they'll just go off and, and, and get into sin. So the best thing to do is keep them worried and keep them anxious whether they're going to go to heaven or not. And then that way they'll be busy about, about the work. Uh, but the Bible teaches that God's people can have assurance. God's people can have assurance, not in what we do, but what Christ has done. And we can have assurance knowing, in this case, that Jesus Christ prayed for his people. We can have assurance, and that's what we're going to look at in several reasons why. And the first one in this section is we can have assurance in the Savior's love. We can have assurance in the Savior's love. He says in verse number 11, And now I am no more in the world, but these are in the world. So Jesus is speaking as if he, the work has already been finished. So he's come to the end. He's, he'll leave here and then go to the Garden of Gethsemane. Then he'll be arrested and tried and crucified. Um, the hour has come. And the time for Jesus in his earthly ministry to go and to preach and to heal and to do the miracles, that time is over with. And so in essence... He's saying that you know that that's the end of this pub, this uh, public ministry of his. He's going to go and die on the cross and and rise from the dead and ascend. And he speaks as if the work is already finished as he prays for them. And he prays for those who are in the world. <coughs> but these are in the world, and I come to thee. Jesus knows his disciples. He knows what they're about to go through. Because he said they're in the world. And then a little bit later on, uh, the world's going to hate him. And he knows where they're at. Even though he won't be with them bodily, he knows their situation. He knows that we're in the world. He knows uh, that his disciples will be facing trials. His disciples will be facing temptations. His disciples will be uh, encountered with much evil and much hardship. Some of the, well, all of the, the 11 there, except uh, for John, would be um, executed, uh, martyred. John would spend his last days in jail. But he is uh, the one in Revelation that walks among the candlesticks. He is the one who is with his people. And he knows our needs. He knows our situation. So we're not in a new situation. The Lord doesn't uh, know what's going on. He told the church in Pergamos, he says, I know thy works and where thou dwellest, even where Satan's seed is. And he knew uh, their work. And he knew that thou holdest fast my name and hast not denied my faith, even those days where Antipas was my faithful martyr who was slain among you. So we can have assurance knowing that our Lord knows our, our trials. He knows our situation. He knows the evil that comes upon us. And he, he prays for us, even in that end. So we can have assurance that our Savior has not forgotten about us. He, uh, and he has not ascended us into something that he wasn't prepared for or that, that he didn't know was going to happen. He knows where we are and what we'll go through. Um, Burkhoff said in his uh, theology, systematic theology, it's a consoling thought that Christ is praying for us. Even when we are negligent in our prayer life, 
that he is presenting to the Father those spiritual needs which were not present to our own minds, which we often neglect to include in our prayers, and then he prays for our protection against the dangers of which we are not even conscious, against the enemies which threaten us, though we do not notice it. He is praying that our faith may not cease and that we may come out victoriously in the end. Our Lord knows, and he knows what trials we face. He knows the real situation. Sometimes we are, um, sometimes we're afflicted by principalities and powers and and spirits that we don't even know what's going on. We don't even know what's going on. Like Job. Job's, all this bad stuff's happened to me. Job didn't know the half of it. All this terrible storm has come. People have raided me and robbed me blind. He didn't know that it was Satan behind all of that. So there was a battle going on against his soul and, and against him uh, on this earth that he didn't even realize. Peter thought that it was just... Uh, perhaps that made to ask him the question, not realizing that it was Satan that desired to sift him as wheat. So, so we don't we neglect to pray for ourselves, and even when we do pray, we neglect to pray for the right things. We might pray that the Lord would deliver us from a physical affliction, or the Lord would uh, help us in a financial situation that we're in, not knowing and not remembering or realizing that that uh, we wrestle not against flesh and blood. But our Savior, He prays for us in the way that, that, that is needed. Like a little child, you know, they, might, they might pray, and they might pray that they'll have a good day at school, and they might pray that, uh, that they win a ball game or, or something because it's very important to them. Whatever that situation is that they pray about, very, very important. But mom and dad might know that, uh, you know, that they've got an important doctor's appointment coming up, or there's bills that need to pay, there's, there's problems in the community they don't know about, and there's all these dangers that the child not even aware of. Uh, and so the parents, you know, they, they pray in turn for the child in, in dangers that they're not even aware of. Well, our, our Lord knows our situation. He prays for us. And we can take assurance in that. That our faith won't fail because it is a faith that He gave uh, to us. And so there's assurance in the Savior's love for us. Because he's, He died for us. And He finished the work. And He's not going to let His work be undone. So we have that assurance. We have assurance in the Son's prayer. He says, Holy Father, keep them. These disciples will face many dangers. In a few hours, they'll be scattered. In a few months, they'll be persecuted. They'll be thrown in jail. They'll face the executioner's sword. They'll face trials and stonings and and beatings. Holy Father, keep them. Care for them. Guard them. Protect them. Keep them from evil. The Lord uh, often will keep us from evil. Not merely deliver us out of an evil situation, but keep us from that. Keep them from falling away. If it weren't for God's grace and His mercy and His power, we'd all 
fall away, like the hymn says, prone to wonder, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. That our, our old flesh, our old nature is weak and, and, and cowardly. And, and we fight against that old nature, but we can have assurance, not that we're strong enough, not that we're, that we're good enough, but our Savior said, Father, keep them. Guard them, protect them. That we are in our Savior's hands. We are in our Father's hands. Father, keep them from damnable heresy. Keep them from falling away into error. And so, after Jesus ascends and after the apostles start preaching, it's not very long after that where people in the church start saying, the good news is Jesus died for sins and rose again for justification. Be baptized. And then it goes to the Gentiles and the gospel. And the Gentiles are being saved and they say, be baptized and be circumcised. Believe upon the Lord Jesus Christ and be circumcised. And then be baptized. And then stop eating these unclean foods. Right. And adding to the gospel, it wasn't very long after that. And people started falling away. Falling away into another gospel. Falling away and trusting another Jesus. A Jesus that was not the Jesus that we read of in scriptures, but one of man's imagination. How easy it is to be deceived. How easy it is to be tricked. Satan is subtle. And will deceive people into another gospel. Paul says he was afraid for the Corinthian church because uh, he, he feared that, like Eve, they'd be deceived from the simplicity of Christ by the subtlety of Satan. How is it that the truth has endured? Because the Son said, Father, keep them. Keep them from disunity and destruction. His prayer went on to say, keep them that they may be one as we are one. Christ prays for the unity of heart and mind and will and purpose of his disciples. Now, if you just think about the Gospels and the short time that we have reading of Jesus and, and the Twelve, how many times you read them fussing at one another and fighting with one another and arguing with one another, Who's going to be the greatest? Who's going to sit where in Jesus' kingdom? And, and who's going to take the lead? And who, who's number one? And who's number two? And, and on and on. Even after Jesus rose from the dead, in this very gospel, Jesus tells Peter, feed my sheep. And you're going to end up going where you wouldn't go. And he says, what about John? You know, just all that... Well, how is it that once you got into the book of Acts, that not only did was there not this um, arguing amongst themselves, but there was a humility and a unity, and a unity of faith, and a unity of doctrine, and a unity of, of mission. There was... Uh, they were praying together. They were working together. They were serving together. And whenever any trials would come up, they, they kept the peace. Why? Because the Father said, keep them, that they may be one as we are one. Christ prays for unity and, 
and heart and mind and will that that the old things had passed away and all things had become new, that they had one uh, faith and one Lord and one baptism. And this is the answer to the Lord's Prayer. And as they entered off into all this evil and this trial and this hardship, Christ prayed for His people and for their eternal safety. Robert Murray McShane, a Scottish pastor, said, If I could hear Christ praying for me in the next room, I would not fear a million enemies. Yet distance makes no difference. He is praying for me. Think about what this may have done to the disciples as they heard Jesus praying. Praying for their safety, praying for their assurance, praying for their salvation, praying that the Father would keep them, praying that they would um, persevere in the truth, that they would be uh, sanctified, that they would be where He is. What boldness that would have given Him, what encouragement. We find great encouragement whenever people tell us that they're praying for us, and we believe that they're praying for us. You think I'm going I'm going off and I'm gonna have a hard day. But I know I know somebody's praying for me. I might do something hard or something difficult, and and I know that Crystal's praying for me, and that gives me encouragement to know that, that someone's praying for me. Or to know that the church is praying for me as I as I preach and as I, as I study, to know that, to know someone is praying for me. But, but think about this, a Christ prays for us. And what uh, McShane was saying, he said, imagine listening to this and hearing the holy, sinless Son of God praying for, praying for them, what that would have done. Father, keep them. And he said, if I could just hear, if I could hear that, I wouldn't fear anything. But then he, 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 he told his church, he is. And it's just a, a lack of faith because we know that to be true. Because we know, starting in verse number 20, he starts, he's praying for us in particular. I pray not for these alone, but for them which shall believe on me through the Lord. He prays for us too. So we can have that blessed assurance in Christ and and trust in Him. We can have assurance in the Savior's work. He says, I was with them in the world. I kept them in thy name. Those that thou gavest me, I have kept. And none of them is lost, but the son of perdition, that the scripture might be fulfilled. We can have assurance in the Savior's work. He said, I kept them. I kept them. And and now, Father, you keep them. I was in the world and I kept those that you gave me. But now I am leaving the world and it is as it were, I give them back to you, Father, that you keep them. But he goes on to say that that when he prays for unity, he said that they may be one as we are one. So um, it it is not that we're getting passed around. It is that the Father and the Son are one, and Jesus was here with them in the flesh. And now as Jesus departs in the flesh, 
They're not shepherdless. They're not without protection. They're not without uh, some. They're not without God. But just as Jesus was with them in in this world in the flesh, He is with us now. And not only Jesus, but the Father. So let's think about what Jesus said in John chapter ten. You remember what he was um, telling the people? Some people just they wouldn't hear Jesus. They wouldn't listen to him. And why was that? Because they were not his sheep. They were not of his people. Well, in verse twenty-seven, he says, "My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me, and I give unto them eternal life, and they shall never perish." Neither shall any man pluck them out of my hand. My Father, which gave them me, is greater than all, and no man is able to pluck them out of my Father's hand. I and my Father are one. Jesus tells tells the truth in John chapter 10, and he prays that very same truth um, in John 17. I kept them. You gave them to me, and I kept them. And they have not perished. And no one has plucked them out of my hand. And Father, no man is able to pluck them out of your hand. And you and I are one. One God and three persons. And we are safe in the Savior's work. The Savior came to die for his sheep. He came to give eternal life to his people. He came to see that work through to the very end. Eternal life doesn't mean that you get it and then you don't have it. That's temporary life. To have something and lose it is not eternal. That's temporary. He didn't come to give us temporary life. He didn't say, here's your salvation and hang on to it. Oh, you've lost it. Now you don't have it anymore. Well, here you get it again. Well, you don't have it anymore. That's not eternal. That's back and forth. Eternal life is, is you have it and it never ends. And that's what the Savior came to give us, eternal life. And, he, and then, well, how could I, what if I fall away? What if I quit? Believing, well, you're not going to quit because the the Savior will keep you. The Savior will not let you fall away. He will not lose his sheep. Then we read and you say, well, what about John 17, 12? I haven't lost any of them, but the son of perdition. Well, it depends on how you read that. And so, you can, you know, but is a conjunction, and you can read that two different ways. It can be, um, I've lost none of them except the son of perdition, which is how a lot of people read that. That the son had Judas, and he lost him. And 11 out of 12 is not bad. And, you know, I'll pray for the rest of them. But I did lose one of them. That's, that's how some people read it. But that's not the only way that that, uh, that conjunction can be used. It can be an, an, uh, an adversative conjunction, which means you're setting two things against each other, which is what I believe um, this is saying. Now, this is just, it's, this is a difficult sentence. And, and all the Bible is inspired, and all the Bible is true, but not all the Bible is is equally um, easy for us to 
to, to understand this is one of those verses that is, is sort of difficult. It's difficult no matter what side you come down on. There's, um, you know, there, there's difficulties with this. But, but the text, the scripture, I think is very clear. The Bible is clear on what Jesus is saying here. How many apostles are there? There's 12, isn't there? 12 apostles. Well, one of them was a traitor. There's 11 here, but there's 12 apostles. You ask anybody on the street how many apostles they are, and I would say if they know anything about Christianity, they'd be able to tell you there's 12 apostles. Well, there's 12 of that, of that group. One of those 12 was different than the 11. Jesus called Judas an apostle. He went up the mountain prayed, and he called 12 men. And one of those 12 was Judas. Now, Jesus said in John 10, my sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. And you read throughout the other gospels that Jesus knew who the traitor was. Jesus says right here that the scriptures might be fulfilled. So the Old Testament already foretold of this. This was going to happen. So it couldn't have taken Jesus by surprise if a, he already knew it was going to happen. And B, the Old Testament said it was going to happen. And C, he is, uh, he is God and knows all things and knows his sheep. So that's the, we, we know those things to be true. Those are facts that we know to be true. And so that would contradict if Jesus was saying, I've kept them all but lost one. It would contradict him where he, where he said, um, I give my, I know my sheep. And they shall never perish. So we don't just ignore the scripture then and just cast that aside. But we say, okay, well, what does this mean then? Well, there's two. There's a few other places. Uh, Ryle points this out. A few other places, um, at least in the Gospels, that they use the same kind of language. So let's look at Mark thirteen thirty-two, to where it's not. It doesn't mean accept, but pitting two things against each other. So, but of that day and that hour, so Mark 13, 32, Jesus says this about his return. But of that day and that hour knoweth no man, no, not the angels which are in heaven, neither the Son of Man, but the Father. So he mentions all the people in heaven, all the people on earth, speaks of himself as the Son. But all these people don't know. He said, no man knoweth. And he said, that includes the angels and me and my humanity. And then he says, then he has that, um, that conjunction there that it's, it's putting one against the other. But the father does know. So it's not no one knows except the father, but no one knows but the father does know. So it's not including the father in that group, but saying there's two groups of people, people that do know and then the father uh, that does know. All right. Let's look at Matthew chapter 12 and verse number four. It's the same thing. It's not an accept, but putting two groups of people against each, uh, contrary to one another. How he entered into the house of God, talking about David, and he entered in the house of God and did eat the showbread 
which was not lawful for him to eat, neither for them which were with him, but only for the priests. So again, it's not an accept, but it's but it's there's two groups of people. David goes into the house of God. You remember this story? He's running from Saul and he goes in the house of God to get something to eat. And there's the showbread and the priest gives him the showbread. And David ate the showbread and the, the people that were with David ate that bread. But it wasn't lawful for them to eat. Neither was it lawful for any of them which did eat. But it was lawful for the priest to eat. So in the, in the house of God, there was a bunch of people. There was David, there was David's men, and there was the priests. Jesus said, nobody that was with David was able to eat this. Was the priest with David? Yes, he was with David. But what he does is said, nobody was able to. But the priests, they were able to. You know, so he set them over to the side. They were able to, but David and his men weren't able to. So it's not an accept, but it's putting these two groups together. So if we think about what Jesus said in John 17, it's not that I have kept those in thy name except for Judas. He said, but I have kept those that you gave me, and none of them is lost. But Judas, the son of perdition, the one to whom the scriptures said they would fall away, to the one who the scriptures foretold of his betrayal, the one that I knew would betray me, the one that I dismissed and told him to go and do quickly what he had to do, the one that I had been telling the disciples for, for a long time throughout the Gospels, but one of you is a devil, and they said, Lord, is it me? Lord, is it me? Him... Well, he is the son of perdition. He fell away. But he was not of that group that the Father had given him. So that's how, that's, that's how I believe that is what Jesus is saying. I've lost none that the, you have given me, Father, but the son of perdition, the one who you did not give me, the one who was not of your people, he was lost. He was among those 12, but within that 12, there was two groups of people. The one group that the Father gave him and the one that the Scriptures foretold that he was the son of perdition. So just like in Mark and just like in Matthew, it's not an exception, but it's there's two groups of people and that but is, is distinguishing between the two people. Like I said, it's a, it's a difficult, um, difficult passage the way we read it here. But this interpretation is consistent with the language. I'm not twisting the language. I'm not twisting the, the words. It's consistent with, with even other ways that Jesus himself spoke. This interpretation harmonizes with the Lord's Prayer. Because a little bit later on, well, actually in the, the next sentence, he comes to them that they might have joy fulfilled among them, in themselves. He prays for their assurance. He prays for their safety. He prays for their everlasting life. He prays that they would be where He is. He prays that all these things that they hear will bring them joy. And so that's consistent with, I haven't lost anybody that you gave me. 
but it would be inconsistent with 11 out of 12. And I hope that they make it, right? So that's inconsistent with even this chapter. This interpretation that I gave you that is it harmonizes with Jesus' treatment of Judas throughout the Gospels and it harmonizes with the analogy of Scripture, the whole Scripture's teaching on the doctrines of grace and, and God's salvation. So this is an assurance of our salvation that, of the, that those that the Father has given Jesus, He has kept. What about Jesus? That son of perdition. He was not given... Uh, he was not one of God's people. He was not one of the elect. The Father did not give Judas to Jesus. And that is what this scripture is teaching. That all of those that the Father gave the Son are safe. And so, you can have assurance in the Savior's work. It was the Holy Father who chose and the Holy Father who gave the elect to Christ and is the Holy Father that keeps And so the Father knows who He gave to Christ. And Christ knows who He received from the Father. Christ knows who He died for. Christ knows who He gave back to the Father. The Father knows whom Jesus prayed for. And Jesus knows who He prayed for. And the Holy Father knows who He keeps and how He keeps and that He can keep. So to say that the Judas was lost is to deny all those things. Which we know... Um, the scripture does not teach. So you can be assured in your salvation knowing that the Father keeps us. Um, you can have assurance in the Father's name. The Father will keep us in His name. The Bible tells us here. Verse 11, Holy Father, keep through Thine own name. And by this it means I believe God's perfections. Father, keep them in Your love. Father, keep them in your power. The power that upholds the universe, that, that, that holds all things together. The power of the almighty sovereign God. The power that, that parted the Red Sea. The power that parted the Jordan River. The, where the sun stood still. Where the walls of Jericho tumbled. That spoke the universe into existence. The, the power of the triune God. We are kept by that power. We are kept by the, the love, the, the ultimate love of, of the God towards us. We are kept in His wisdom, in His plan. You don't think God had a plan in His wisdom, provided all for us that we would have everlasting life. Christ kept us in the Father's name. The Father keeps us in His name. That we are safe in the arms of of the Lord. We have that assurance. Because if we fall away, if we fail, that mars the name of the Holy Father. That mars the name of Christ the Son. If we are saved, then we lose that salvation. That mars the name of the everlasting God. Because we are kept in His name. Now, if 
You know, if I, if I give you, let's say somebody gives you $10,000. And so I want you to hang on this $10,000. I don't want you to spend it, but I want you to invest it. And then um, in, in this time next year, we'll take the proceeds and we'll, we'll do something else with them. But, but this is your responsibility. I need you to keep this. Well, we come back the next year and we say, okay, I need to see the paperwork. And so, well, I, I, I don't have any paperwork. Okay, well, where's the money? Well, I don't have the money. Um, I left here and, um, you know, I, I was going to put it in the bank, but I didn't. And, and I put some of it in my wallet and then I think somebody stole half of it. And then I tried to invest it in, in uh, some bad investments and, and, well, I lost all of it. Now, who's, who's, uh, who's going to have the bad name? Whose fault was that? Well, that would be your fault, right? You, you had something in your name. I said, here, take this money. This money's in your name. It's your responsibility now. And if you fail, well, then you're the one that's failed, right? You, you have ruined your name because that was your responsibility. Jesus says, Father, keep them in thy name. Keep them. Protect them. I've kept them in your name. You keep them in your name. Whose name are we in? We're saved by the name of Christ. We are kept by the name of Christ. We are kept in the name of the Father. We are baptized in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Our testimony is that Jesus has saved us. That Jesus has cleansed us from all unrighteousness. Jesus has given us everlasting life. And Jesus will see it all the way to the end. That's why we have church discipline. Not because we say, not because um, we punish people, but, but it is in part that we hope that those who have fallen away will, will return, but also to say, to say that the testimony of God is that God's people will persevere. That's the testimony. And we believe that those who follow Christ will persevere. And so, the church discipline is just saying, you know, they're not living like a Christian ought to live. Because it is not our hands to save ourselves. It is in the hands of God. He keeps us. And, and so that, so we, we trust in the Lord that once he has saved us, he will keep us and see that work through the end. And then he says in verse 13, I come to thee and that, these things. I speak in the world that they might have my joy fulfilled in themselves. This prayer should bring joy to the people of God. Not terror. So often, the upper room and the prayer brings terror to God's people. Fear and doubt. Same with 1 John. Because it has marks of salvation and, and we, we look at those marks and say, well, this is what it looks like. If you're saved, this is what you'll do. And, and that brings terror and fear and doubt or it brings self-righteousness. But yep, I'm doing that. I'm doing good. Or it can bring bitterness. You know, if you can, if you never do anything right, you can never do anything uh, right ever at all. Well, you just give up. You know, some people just give up and say, well, no matter what I do, it's, not, it's never going to be good enough, never going to be acceptable. So what's the point? 
and, and people just get bitter or despair. If it's all, like I said with a song before we started, if it's all law and no good news, then it brings all these things. Well, why do we keep the law? Jesus said, if you love me, keep my commandments. That's very true. 100% true, I believe, with all my heart. But as we'll see in part two of this, why do we keep those commandments? How do we keep those commandments? Why do we have a desire to keep those? Why do we love him? This prayer gives us assurance that our salvation is in him. And we need not fear or we need not doubt. We need not despair. But when we read these words, we, that we might have joy, joy in the Savior. And so quickly in verses 14, 15, and 16, the disciples had the word in the world. And so we can have assurance knowing where, knowing the Lord knows where we are. It might not be the easiest way that we have to travel, but it's the best way. Lord, why, do, why is it so hard? Why do I struggle with sin so much? Why do I struggle with the things of this world? Why do I struggle with doubt? Why do I struggle um, with, with trusting you? Why do I have all these struggles in the world? It'd just be easier if I just caught up into heaven and all be over with. The Lord knows where you are. I pray for them who are in the world, that they might have joy. Any kind of joy? No, that they might have my joy fulfilled in them. Our joy is found in the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. Our joy is found in Christ. And when we look to him and say, he's done it all for me. And now I can obey him as a son. I can follow him as forgiven. That I can walk with him in the assurance of salvation, knowing that the Father is going to keep me. And whenever I fail to know that I have an advocate with the Father, and whenever I stumble, and when I get off track, that, that God is not angry with me, and is not going to cast me aside like I'm a son of perdition, but He's going to come as a holy Father and get me back in fellowship. But I, my joy might be full. See, this prayer will give us joy knowing that our Father is for us, our Son is for us, the Spirit is in us and for us, and that, that we are safe in the work of our Redeemer. Well, let's, uh, let's stop there and we'll dismiss in a word of prayer. I ask Bernie if you would dismiss.